1981, when Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale first began to write the Back to the Future script, they had a reconfigured refrigerator as their time-traveling device. By the time production for the film began in 1984, the refrigerator luckily and thankfully had been changed to a DeLorean. Audiences fell in love with the sci-fi thriller Back to the Future. Though the movie features some of the best work from Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, it's hard to deny that the true star of the movie was the 1982 DMC-12 DeLorean. Stainless steel body, sleek hatchback, and an 80 staple, going doors. The entire car looked extremely futuristic. It's hard to deny the uniqueness and the unexplained attraction to a car that honestly kind of looks like a silver two-door Buick. But there's just something about it that's different and mysterious. And that's hard to not find attractive for any age range. But with the DeLorean comes a mystery. Surrounding its short time on the assembly line, the story of DeLorean is filled with dreams, goals, desire, crime, and criminal intentions. You may not think a story on a car would be interesting, but let me assure you, it most certainly is. Welcome to 21 Years. I'm your host, the master of the Gooniverse, El Dangeroso, and this is How Big Lots Sold DeLoreans. People of all ages instantly recognize the DeLorean. My kids are six and eight, and 36 years later, they too love this car. In fact, for my youngest son's sixth birthday, the gift he wanted the most was the Playmobil Back to the Future DeLorean. Of course he got it. I'm the master of the Gooniverse, guys, and it's my duty, nay, my responsibility, to keep the greatest time in pop culture history alive. As I put together his DeLorean, I slid the battery pack in, which gives his car this beautiful blue glow from all the accessories, and my baby boy's eyes go wide with excitement, which basically consisted of me fast-forwarding to all the DeLorean scenes for him to play out on his new toy. Though I was extremely proud of his request for the gift, I couldn't help but kind of wonder how a car that is only produced for two years has been so captivating for over three generations. I mean, look at the spaceship Buck Rogers flew in 1979. Most people don't even remember that at all. Or maybe like, how about like the Cylons from the Battlestar Galactica series? I mean, sure, you do remember them because they were kind of creepy and very shiny. But no one on a large scale probably recognizes them. But the Back to the Future DeLorean? It's still in ridiculously high demand. Man, do I love Back to the Future. It seems like everyone does. I can't think of anyone who hates Back to the Future. And if you do, you're what I call an energy vampire. You suck all the fun out of all the things that are enjoyable, only to spread your misery and boredom throughout the land. In other words, don't be that person. So I've seen Back to the Future hundreds of times in my life. And I got to say, even if it's the last 10 minutes of it on TV, I stop and watch it. I went to Universal Studios when I was a kid just to ride the Back to the Future attraction. 
Why did I wait in line for hours to do so with my family whining about coming back later? Because you ride in a fake DeLorean, that's why. It was close as I could get to the real DeLorean. Then years later, a house down the road from ours bought a DeLorean in the late 80s and kept it in the garage. I know because the garage door was up at times when we drove by, and it was hard to not mistake those taillights for anything other than a DeLorean. Sometimes he would wash it and leave it outside in the driveway to dry in the sun, and I got to see it in all its glory. I would ask my mom to slow down so I could really get a solid look at it. It was something to really see when it was outside in the sun, glistening and sparkling. That guy instantly became the coolest person since Deion Sanders in my world. Now, this episode I want to tell you guys isn't going to be about the movie itself, but like I said earlier, it will be about the star of the movie and all the oddness that surrounds it, the DeLorean DMC-12. It was a concept car that was designed by a man named Gio Gaiagora in the mid-1970s for a man named John DeLorean. Duh. John DeLorean was a high-end executive for General Motors. He had a successful run at Chevrolet and Pontiac for General Motors for 25 years. Now, as to not confuse you from here on, we will refer to John DeLorean informally as John or John D and the car as the DeLorean or the DMC-12. John was extremely successful in his career at GM. You know, oftentimes when we talk about CEOs and executives, sometimes we speak in terms of men and women who kind of got their position by moving up just the management ladder of being hands-off and just having a high-end college degree or knowing the right people. But John was a little different. He actually was a hands-on guy in many aspects of Pontiac and Chevrolet. He was accomplished in design, engineering, and was even a player for many inventions in the car industry. But John was kind of getting bored. He had started as an executive GM at a really young age, and he wanted his own car brand. At the age of 48, John took his fortune from the time at General Motors and started the DeLorean Motor Company, taking a chance on himself and his dreams to produce his own auto brand and make it a reality. The DeLorean Motor Company, DMC, at first, was just to be a consulting firm for automakers, an idea tank of sorts that would help car manufacturers find new ideas and technology for their future builds. But John, as we said, was a very bright guy, and soon DMC, DeLorean Motor Company, was creating new types of inventions for car construction, and it became apparent to John that it was time to really take a serious look at actually building a vehicle. But to produce cars, you have to have a car to produce. And that's where the DMC-12, as we all know and love, comes in. The plan was to build a car completely around safety. Once the word spread that DMC was going to build the world's safest car, Allstate Insurance Company wanted in on the action and pitched in $500,000 towards the design of the car. The car was commissioned to be designed by Italian designer Gio Giagora. Early on in the design process, it was John who pushed for gullwing doors, a stainless steel body, plastic accents, as well as enough room for a driver to be six feet tall. In the end, the car we see in the Back to the Future was the end result of all that, but it went through a lot of process before it got there. They wanted the frame to be plastic. There was a lot of really odd designs to this car that made it difficult really in the beginning to kind of build and the original target price was twelve thousand dollars which is why the name of the car is actually the dmc 12 delorean 
That sounds cheap now, but the average car was $7,000 in 1980. But that's not terrible. With inflation, that's roughly $40,000 in today's money. And $40,000 today in a car is a mid-level entry vehicle. And the interest for this car back in that time and the concept of it began to really catch fire through the grapevine. And even in the late 70s, people really wanted this car. I find it amazing that over 40 years, the love affair with this car goes from the inception until today. I mean, think about that. In 1979, the interest in this car was so huge that Johnny Carson or Sammy Javis Jr. and other wealthy celebrities raised capital for DeLorean Motors to be a thing. Something virtually unheard of today. 158 dealers signed on to sell the DMC-12 model on their lots, and that generated another $10 million in funding. His own fortune, $500,000 from Allstate, celebrity interest and investments, things were really looking great for John and the future of DeLorean Motor Company, but it was only going to get better. John decided that since the money and interest was at its peak, he would strike while the iron's hot and begin to look at assembly plants. The winner was not Detroit, not Atlanta, not Indianapolis, not even Mexico, but Ireland. The reason Ireland worked out was that the government had grants. The company was given another $100 million from the Northern Ireland Development Agency and the Department of Commerce to make the DeLorean in Ireland. Money was rolling into DMC and things were really starting to take off with the hype of the new DeLorean vehicle. And now we're going to move into 1981. If you've made it this far, congratulations. You've reached the drama zone. Because now things begin to really fall apart. The first DMC-12s start to roll off the assembly line, and they're sent overseas to America to positive reviews mostly. But as we are going to find out, DMC and DeLorean himself, John, was loaded with unfortunate situations including jail time and drug trafficking. But before we get there, you have to realize that we're about to head into a serious recession. And that's going to hit America really hard and the economy hard. It's going to completely stall the sales of the DMC-12 before it ever really gets off the ground. If you'll remember the original sticker price for the DMC-12 of $12,000 in 1980 money, well, it doubled to $25,000 when it actually hit the dealership. Now, to put that in today's money, that's $80,000. $40,000 to $80,000. A lot of people have $40,000 cars, am I right? But very few people have $80,000 cars. To put that in perspective, absolutely the top of the line Corvette in 1982 cost you $18,000. An unknown commodity in the DMC DeLorean costs more than the top of the line proven supercar Corvette in 1982. So the price was much too high during the recession. Unfortunately, the shipping costs were enormous to ship from Ireland to the United States. Add in the cost of the stainless steel pulse, several back-to-the-drawing-board efforts, a big recession, and the security needed to avoid terrorist attempts of the Irish Republic Army. Yeah, that was a real thing. I mean, they were having a revolution in Ireland, and a lot of these groups were terrorist groups that were bombing uh, factories and doing things that to uh, overthrow the government. And DeLorean's factory uh, was very much at risk for that. DeLorean wasn't even into 12 months into producing before things came to a screeching and slow halt. In a panic, John tried to release some shares of his company on the stock market to help raise money to survive, 
but the stock price was actually too high for most people to feel comfortable with at $12. Now, $12 here is not a big deal now. I mean, you'd invest all day in Facebook at $12. But back then during a recession with inflation, it was a lot of money. And John also went on to seek help from banks and several banks in Europe made loans to DMC, but he began to burn through it, producing 80 cars per day and not selling models on the lots. Meanwhile, in the States, dealers were getting stuck with an inventory of unsold, very expensive sports cars that weren't really sports cars in the first place. What I mean by that is that the car was originally supposed to be a four-cylinder. The car itself is entirely too heavy, with a stainless steel to have a four-cylinder in it. The move was scrapped, and the design was then to put a reliable Ford V6 into the vehicle, which had later been changed to a cheaper six-cylinder made by a European company well known for its reliability issues at times. The car simply was not fast at all, though. In fact, many considered the V6 to be one of the worst engines ever made, which I personally disagree with. In no way was a DeLorean built for or with speed in mind. In reality, it would take almost 15 seconds to hit the 88 miles per hour to activate the flux capacitor in the movie. In fact, the mall parking lot would not even have been long enough to get the DeLorean to 88 miles per hour according to an article in Popular Mechanics. It was just too heavy. The DeLorean featured in the Back to the Future films used the DMC-12 as its base, but the crew ended up having to modify it to fit the needs of the films. One of the first parts changed was this engine. The filmmakers replaced the V6 with a Porsche engine to help the car go fast. True, the car may look unique, sleek, and fast, but it really wasn't in the slightest. The top speed was 109, but it would take the same time to reach that speed as it would in most heavy Buicks. There was literally nothing special about the performance of the DeLorean DMC-12. And remember that world's safest car idea they had? It wasn't really safe at all, and in fact, it got some horrible safety ratings. It also had a major safety flaw. The DeLorean was impossible to get out of if it ever flipped on its roof. The gullwing doors would not open if it was on its roof, and therefore trapped all the occupants inside with no way of being able to get out. Now we had other issues, and the other issues were everything happened so fast that the workers from Northern Ireland were extremely inexperienced and improperly trained, leading to terrible craftsmanship on the vehicles. It wasn't uncommon for a DMC-12 to be missing important engine parts, accessories, or interior pieces. The production also got so far behind at the start, the factory kept producing the shoddy vehicles even when no one was buying them. The DeLorean in a nutshell was underpowered, unsafe, and had terrible craftsmanship at a price three times the cost of the average vehicle in the 1980s. So by 1982, DMC was in $175 million in debt, and a total of 7,000 DeLorean DMC-12s were unsold sitting on lots around the United States. Things were really starting to go south for John and his dream. DMC needed to sell twice as many cars than they were selling to stay alive, an impossible feat. Layoffs were inevitable and began to happen in Ireland and in the offices in the United States, and bankruptcy was starting to become a sad reality in just 12 months of production. There was some ray of light, though, in 1982. John had gotten the British government to loan him money to keep the factory open in the amount of $25 million. However, John would only get the relief if he raised enough money to match it. How was a guy like John DeLorean, who had milked every teat, strained every financial institution, 
and scraped every penny from the drawers to raise $25 million to save his company? Well, he's going to do what we all would do. He's going to get into drug trafficking, of course. It just so happened that John DeLorean knew a guy. In 1978, a neighbor of John's named James Hoffman rented the house across the street from John's ranch, and his son was friends with Hoffman's son. In passing conversations, it was revealed between them that James was not really in the airline sales business, as he claimed, but in the drug trafficking business. In 1982, in desperation, John DeLorean reached out to reconnect with his friend and old neighbor James Hoffman with the intentions of talking about how to get fast money, looking for investors who had expendable cash like others in the illegal drug business. The timing, as we've seen already, was terrible for John, as James Hoffman had just been arrested and turned informant for the FBI just a few months before. On his last penny, John decided to sell his ranch for $2 million, and Hoffman had mentioned that there was a way to take that $2 million and turn it into $40 million in 60 days. Hoffman knew he had a big fish on the line with John DeLorean and worked with the FBI to reduce his sentencing in return for turning John DeLorean in. A meeting was arranged between Hoffman and another drug dealer for DeLorean to meet. DeLorean gave Hoffman and another smuggler who was an FBI undercover agent brochures and a six-year financial plan for his company and said if he could just get $40 million quickly, the company would prosper. John then offered a stake in his company if the money was raised to save it. Hoffman then mentioned how they could take the $2 million that John had to buy cocaine, smuggle it for a small fortune, and make the $40 million John needed to save the company. John agreed and is eventually arrested by the FBI. John DeLorean would go on trial, but would maintain that because he was in a desperate situation, that he was part of an entrapment sting by the FBI. And believe it or not, he did win his case, as his defense pushed back that John DeLorean was told at his weakest point in his life that Hoffman could help him illegally. Despite many rumors to the contrary, John DeLorean did not seek out a drug deal, though he was very open to receiving financial help any way he could achieve it. The jury would agree that Mr. DeLorean was in fact trapped in a deal at a time when he was most vulnerable and charges were dropped in 1984. The main staple in his defense was the admittance that Hoffman knew John needed financial help badly. However, the result was the destruction of his reputation and his company, DMC. The two things he was working the hardest to save were the two things he lost. He was quoted as saying, who would even buy a used car from me after this? DeLorean had been shut down as John awaited trial and all production ended. The dream had died. Wait, so you're probably asking yourself, what did Big Lots have to do with all this? Well, I promise you, the title wasn't just to hook you into listening. I'll never lie or betray you guys. And basically, the truth is, someone had to buy up all those DeLoreans sitting at the factory in Ireland. At the time, Big Lots was known as Consolidated Stores Corporation. And it was a major investor in DeLorean's dream at the beginning. And in 1984, Big Lots bought up all the unsold factory DeLoreans and all parts on site. They even had one of the 24-karat gold DeLoreans from the factory floor, which they actually raffled off to a customer. Only five of those were made and are rare and worth an estimated $175,000. The owner of Big Lots, Sol Sheck, moved all the inventory from Ireland to Columbus, Ohio, and held on to the DMC name in hopes that DeLorean would eventually come back in popularity after the movie. 
Big Lots built a hundred DeLoreans out of the factory inventory and sold them, even selling parts and pieces to owners looking for original parts all the way up until his death in 1994. In 1999, John DeLorean actually declared personal bankruptcy after fighting some 40 legal cases following the collapse of the DeLorean Motor Company. He was forced to sell his 434-acre estate in 2000, and Donald Trump bought it converted into golf courses. DeLorean moved to a condominium in Morristown, New Jersey, where he lived until his death five years later. DeLorean died at Overlook Hospital in Summit, New Jersey from a stroke on March 19, 2005, at the age of 80. His ashes are interned at Whitechapel Cemetery in Troy, Michigan. His tombstone shows a depiction of the DeLorean sports car he loved and dreamed of, with the gullwing doors open. And the DeLoreans from the movie franchise? For filming purposes, the film had three specialized DeLoreans built. The filmmakers used these three DeLoreans throughout the film, with the primary one used now on display. As the film only made minor adjustments to the vehicle, John DeLorean is still considered the person who made the Back to the Future DeLorean. The DeLorean that was used in the film was a 1982 DMC-12 model. The time travel aspects in the trilogy allow the car to go back to 1955, 2015, which is hard to believe when you think about it. We don't have flying cars yet. Uh, We don't even have flying skateboards yet. And then back to 1885. In real life, the DeLorean was used during filming for each movie in the trilogy. The films were released in 1985, 9, and 1990. Universal Studios Hollywood held all three of the cars used for filming and storage for some time, but has since put them all to public use in various capacities. The three original DeLoreans used for filming can still be seen in some form today, though they have taken a variety of paths. For a time, the primary Back to the Future DeLorean was left in storage at Universal Studios, occasionally being exhibited outdoors. Though it was exhibited by the studio, the need for maintenance hadn't been kept up with it, and it wasn't until 2010 that it was fully restored to its original glory. After its restoration, the studio permanently loaned the vehicle to a museum. The second car was used for filming occasionally and was destroyed in one of the films. After filming wrapped, the parts were used to build other DeLoreans used for promotional purposes. Later, the body panels would be reassembled and hung upside down from the ceiling in Planet Hollywood, Hawaii, where the shell of the vehicle currently resides. The third DeLorean was not cared for and rot away in storage. Luckily, some of the car parts ended up being used on a DeLorean displayed at Universal Studios Japan. As of now, parts from the third DeLorean can still be seen on the modified DeLorean on display there. In the movie Any Given Sunday, Al Pacino's character makes a speech to his football team. Quote, In either game, life, or football, the margin of error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half a second too slow, too fast, and you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. End quote. You're going to hear a lot about John DeLorean in the next few months, but one thing I want you to keep in mind is that when all the layers are peeled, this is really a story about a passionate man and his dreams to build something special. In the opinions of many, he failed. But is it John DeLorean's fault, really? Some of the greatest moments in not only history, but in economics, are based on perfect timing. If there's anything many of these episodes point out to you, is that timing is virtually everything in history. John DeLorean launches his car at the moment a recession hits America and is immediately in a losing position. It's bad timing, and it's the single greatest issue with the DeLorean Motor Company.
I argue this with many people. Timing and history. Yes, you have to work hard. No, there's no magic formula for success. But when it's all added up, the timing of the success is almost the most important factor to how successful something becomes. The formula for success is very often hard work, desire, luck, and timing. All of these things have to work together for the moment to really happen. Timing is everything. If DeLorean introduces the DMC-12 one year later, we may still see DMC as a valid brand today under the GMC umbrella. But even if it didn't survive 40 years, it's very possible DMC produces at least 200,000 vehicles and goes through several model changes for 10 years or more. Maybe it even operates like Ferrari, with limited productions for the specialty market. 12 months difference. That's what changes everything in history. Inches. The difference between winning and losing, as Al Pacino's character says, is more than relevant in DeLorean's case. The drug trafficking in reality, you will hear rumors. But at the end of the day, John DeLorean was so desperate he sold his soul, and I doubt the $25 million would have saved DMC anyway. Sometimes things are just cursed and you have to let them go down in flames to fight another day. But I also never had my entire life in the balance of something I made with my name on it. That's pretty huge if you think about it. And had I been in that same situation, I'm not sure I'm not willing to take one big gamble on illegal activity and pray I come out ahead this time just to save my reputation and livelihood. John DeLorean gambled to save his dream and himself. Can we really blame him? A jury couldn't when they dropped all the charges, so who am I to say? You may argue, what about the flaws of the DeLorean? Well, most if not all startup manufacturers made promises that they didn't come through on. Issues with production, bad craftsmanship, but they continued to improve their models as time went on because they scraped through enough sales together to do so. Corvettes were made of fiberglass. Are we really going to pretend that they were safe in the 80s? I have no doubt that minus the recession, DeLorean meets the requirements to sell 20,000 DMC-12s. And with that capital, he too tweaks the model and production in 1983 in a move to improve quality and strengthen the brand. Let's not forget John DeLorean was an innovator, an engineer, and an inventor in the American car industry for over 20 years. He wasn't some hack in his garage. He was actually pretty brilliant. He was connected to GMC as well, who likely would have taken GMC under their umbrella of car brands. John DeLorean, though, did the impossible, raised an incredible amount of money and built 7,000 cars from nothing, cars that three generations later have a deep love affair with. One model, 7,000 made, 40 years later, we're still talking about it. 7,000 cars, that's it. Is the world obsessed with the over 100,000 Edsels made? What about the 600,000 AMC Ramblers or 150,000 Kaiser Frasers made? Ferrari made the 412 for four years. Ever heard of it? Me neither. But the DeLorean? Everyone still wants one. They still turn heads. Every owner is asked a list of questions that they've heard 20 times over. The DeLorean, no matter how many times you see it, still piques your interest. We can call DeLorean a failure if you want. But I hardly consider that failing. John DeLorean financially? Sure, failure. The factory in Ireland was a bad idea. The use of gullwing doors was a bad idea. Making a deal with drug traffickers? A really bad idea. But none of that matters now, because the end result is something beautiful, desired by many despite those flaws. To me, I consider that a success. Of course, Back to the Future made the DeLorean immortal. 
But we can't pretend that the same effect happens with a Lotus, a Porsche, a Lamborghini, or Camaro. In fact, I would argue they're not really unique enough for the job. A Corvette? No way. No, the uniqueness of the DeLorean works, the stainless steel body works, the mystery of the car works. It all works, but it only works because it's a DeLorean. Back to the Future needs the DeLorean like Batman needs the Batsuit. In 1984, a scriptwriter saw a DeLorean on the street, turned his pencil over, erased the word refrigerator, and wrote in DeLorean DMC-12 on the script for Back to the Future. DeLorean finally was in the right place at the right time after years of being too late. And we're all very thankful for it. Listen, guys, I appreciate you being here and listening. Please share this with others. Remember, you can find us on Apple, Google, Podbean, wherever you have podcasts available. Uh, So continue to do that. Don't forget to go to our Facebook page, uh, 21 Years. And go on there and kind of get involved in the conversation. I kind of let people know what the episodes will be about in advance. So that's a lot of fun. I post a lot of 80s, 90s memes. So you can all be a part of that, too. And, and the conversation, like I said, it's it's starting to grow. This podcast has not taken on thousands of listeners, but we've got a really low amount of content. We're going to pick that back up, um, and we're going to get it going. So hopefully that's going to get you guys spreading it around and talking to people about it and sharing it. It really means a lot to me. It allows me to keep going. So please, let's keep growing these numbers. It's really awesome to see. Uh, always... To my boys, if you're listening to this 20 years into the future, I love you. Uh, Good night, everyone. This is 21 Years. I'm your host, Sam L. Dangeroso, Master of the Gooniverse. For now, good night. We'll see you next time on 21 Years.